Welcome to Homicide the Podcast. Hi, I'm Kevin. And I'm Brandon. And Homicide the Podcast is the gayest true crime podcast here to force the gay agenda on your little true crime loving hearts. <laughs> Today's episode is called California Dreamin', and my story is titled Let the Fucker Hang. Ooh. What about goodness. you, Kevin? Uh, my story is uh, titled Eadly Atherly. You're a straight up shitbag. Oh. Well, there you go. So it's interesting. So, <laughs> well, welcome back, Kev. Yeah, it's man, been a couple weeks of us kind of being a little MIA. Yeah, we haven't had an episode go up in, in a hot minute. And if you follow us on TikTok, you uh, probably know why now. <laughs> um, and we'll try to get through this. May not be as comedic of an episode. We'll try our um, best. Yeah. Brandon and I are coming off of a pretty severe shift in our life. And if you've watched the podcast, you know that we um, had always had a Boston <laughs> Terrier uh, named Marty who was by our side uh, every always, i think every episode just yeah. kind of laying between us um except for maybe the virtual recordings but she was by my feet every single exactly time. yeah when we were kind of separate for a little while uh, and we were separate because we back in so back in august september um our little girl was diagnosed with heart failure <laughs> right and here it goes i already want to cry <laughs> and uh anyway the uh yeah, it it just kind of progressed, and uh, by November, uh, like her medicine was pretty upped. Uh, it was just like, oh God, I think we need to take her back to our house in Tampa, which is where we're at right now. We're recording from our agency that we own mm-hmm. um, in Tampa, Florida. But we decided to bring her back, um, and she actually did pretty well coming she did. back. Yeah, we I thought think, it was going to be really soon after we got here that um, that she would pass away. Yeah, but she, I mean, she made it. She hustled. She was a fighter. She, Jesus, she was. And her, <laughs> it was interesting, too, because her heart was so big that it filled up her chest and kind of limited a little bit of her lung capacity. But then also in heart failure, your your lungs and your everything just starts filling with fluid. And so we had a pretty bad bout of it in New York. And so we took her um, to the ER. And anyway, uh, when we brought her back to Tampa, she was doing pretty well. I had to go back to New York uh, because I was in a couple of classes. Because as you all know, I also do acting. And uh, even though I'm the CEO of our agency, and I've been uh, trying to pursue that a little bit heavier. And um, I regret it a little. <laughs> don't. Now. Don't. Um, don't. Anyway. I know. Sorry. Uh, so anyway, um, she, yeah, she took a turn well she not really a turn she started to really progress yeah when i if, came back yeah if anybody's been through heart failure and i'm sure with people it's the same yeah. it's very slow progressing mm-hmm. and then one day she could be great one day she was awful um and it was it was hard and yeah. a lot of people in our life noticed how she was um progressing and especially our team at our yeah. agency because she came to work with us every day um and she had pass out. She would pass out. She, uh, her energy was just, I mean, it was, it was clear that she was kind of really declining. And I think that she was trying to stay alive for us. Um, anyway, uh, we had to, um, make a really shitty decision. Yeah. Uh, to, uh, sent her to her next journey, um, with a, a company here in Tampa called La- Laps of Love. Is that, mm-hmm. oops, Lap of Love. Lap of Love. And so, um, and if they're in your city and you have to oh make this God. decision, they These, were great from the beginning to the end. They were, um, and yeah. So anyway, this, this last weekend, um, we had to, um, say goodbye to Marty, but 
<laughs> She's going to be here with us every time. She is. So we got this little cute picture of her. <laughs> I'm going to put by my face so that it stays in focus. Um, but we are going to have her join us during the episode. And if you're not on, uh, if you're not watching us on YouTube, we'll certainly post this onto uh, our our social media. So go take a look uh, to see little Martina. Um, but uh, yeah, we're going yeah. to place her right here. Um, so that she'll be with us. She'll be with us in every episode. And I think something good to know about Kevin and I and this podcast journey that we're on is that mental health is really important to us. And yeah. we, I think out of all of the podcasts that I've at least listened to, we're not going to fake it. If we're not doing right, great. You're going to know. So we took off the last two episodes so that we could spend time with her and heal a little bit. And yeah, we're back. So yeah, really. Thank you to everybody who reached out because we had yeah. quite a few people reach out. Yeah, a lot of our listeners actually, you guys reached out just being like, oh my gosh, where's where's the next episode? And I'm, you know, I know that that was fueled by your love for true crime. And believe us, we love it too, uh, which is why we're here. Again, <laughs> murder's not funny, but we are. No. Uh, but we really wanted to take the time to spend uh, whatever time, especially me since I've been gone, but really wanted to take the time to spend it with Marty as uh, as she kind of transitioned um into this next phase of her life um without us so <laughs> but yeah anyway well on that note should we get into murder yeah uh should we get into the stories that we've had ready for the last like two three weeks that i don't even remember what i wrote about i know God, it'll be fun these... for all of us <laughs> yes yeah we got these stories uh ready quite a bit ago but as we kind of started navigating uh, Marty, we we clearly put it on hold. And sorry um, to everybody who keeps hearing that banging sound. I keep hitting my mouth. Brandon, keeps, Brandon does not know how Again. to like, stay I can't. straight. Well, clearly. Um, <laughs> but definitely cannot like stay put. I can't. <laughs> what uh, what's so funny, too, is that we don't, you know, Marty is here in a picture, but she was such a heater, too, that <laughs> even when she was beside us, which this corner of this room is very hot. But, it is very um, warm. <laughs> when she was beside us, she would heat up our legs so much. And I kind of miss that little I do too. that little heat um a little bit. But I would God, I could probably do a whole episode on talking about how amazing Marty was and all she this was the shit. coolest. Um so uh we would love to hear from you if you've experienced, you know, uh, even if you have advice on on how we can maybe yeah. navigate this because we're having a, a pretty rough time it's only been just over 24 hours by the way um, <laughs> yeah probably not the best time to record a podcast not. episode but yeah. you know what we needed to do something yeah we so. had to kind of jump back in and but also pay homage to miss martina because really at the she was at the core of everything that we did in our life uh, which is why she was on every episode because she literally was always around us i think that you know she was just such a lover my lord mm-hmm. um and anybody that encountered her, any team member at our agency, client of our agency, friend, family friend, member, everyone felt the love from that just radiated from her. From the little 17 um, pound. <laughs> yeah. Boston Terrier, which, by the way, I, I mean, this was our first experience having to, um, you know, uh, deal not only with a pet that was that was dying of heart failure, but but certainly to, face, to face the the end of it and um and watch you know the life kind of slip out of her body <laughs> which was quite difficult for uh both of us but uh and it's interesting too because i often think of since we're on a true crime podcast these these people who um 
serial killers and, and people who murder who are like who love that who get addicted to that feeling and of I, feeling the breath yeah out. and i just think like i don't you're a dirtbag stand people <laughs> i don't like that yeah i just i don't i literally i'm like that was the worst it is the worst pain and like the most painful thing and i just do not understand how people can enjoy <laughs> that um they're crazy <laughs> Uh, so anyway, yeah, on that note, um, please, if you have any advice that you can, that you can share with us on kind of how you navigated that, that pain and, and the grief and, and the loss, um, I haven't dealt with it since, uh, I lost my best friend to suicide and it's definitely accessing, um, <laughs> a lot, a lot. Yeah. Some pain that I haven't had in a while. Oh yeah. No, the, anyway. the bouts of emotion that comes rushing here and there it's not yeah. it's not fun but which I, and i know it'll last because marty was so ingrained in our life oh uh-huh. my god uh and uh so anyway yeah if you have any advice or even just want to share your experience we would love to hear from you yeah. uh so please uh, send us you know some videos or yeah know, whatever but even even send us pictures of your own pets that oh you've my god. been through we'll yeah, share we would them. love to see that we'll do a little yeah something on social miss martina rita fajita uh marty would love that too so um, on that note, right. I know that we've been sitting on these for a little while, and I and you'll have to bear with us because I have not read this. <laughs> I haven't either since I wrote all these notes. It's um, been a little bit, but yeah. Now that I've read like the first two paragraphs, I'm like, ooh, I remember this. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. Yeah, my and mine is uh, interesting too, and actually uh, pretty relatable because I know the people associated, which is how I um, landed on this particular one. But both of these. Um, uh, crimes were uh, in California and one in LA and one San Bernardino. Well, I think actually both are right outside of LA. Yeah. In general. So, um, actually, wait, is yours in San Bernardino? Yours is. Mine's Mine is in LA. In LA. Oh, yeah. that's right. Okay. So one in LA, one outside of LA. So, anyway, uh, I think I went last time when we had um, a gorgeous little Luke on. Um, and yes, so, go first. Yeah. If you want to dive right in. You want to dive right in into let the fucker hang let the fucker hang oh and just to note um i dedicate this episode to miss marty so okay brandon (laughs) it's Um, weird to dedicate a murder true true crime podcast episode to marty Marty, but you know (laughs) it's fine we'll do it maybe we'll do like a dog inspired one for her oh that's that's yeah actually i was watching some like oh god was it like a dateline the other day yeah, I think I think it was a Dateline um, or 2020 where um, this adopted. So this this these this mom and dad adopted this kid from Ukraine, I believe, and the kid um, ended up mur- murdering um, or having somebody murder his dad. He was trying to murder his dad and mom, and they killed the dog too, um, who was sleeping at the foot of their bed. Oh, fuck you. Um, the mom ended up li- living and uh, stood by her kid's side until obviously it came out that he was the one that kind of orchestrated this whole thing. It was a really good episode, actually. Um, but on that note, yeah, so there are things like that. But, uh, okay. <laughs> Alright, let's get trail to trail off in my, <laughs> in my ridiculous grief here. So, Brandon, let's do it. Okay, cool. So, on December 15th, 1927, a man dressed in a heavy grayish-brown overcoat, black shoes, and a dark hat who introduced himself as Mr. Cooper walked into the front office at the Mount Vernon Junior High School. Mm. This well-dressed man told the school registrar, uh, Miss Mary Holt, that his boss, Perry Parker, 
uh, was in a terrible accident and he was there to pick up the Parker girl because Perry insisted she was there by his side to watch, uh, to which Miss Mary responded with, which one? Seeming to be surprised with the question, he answered her quickly with the answer of the younger one. Ew. Yeah, right. So with a sense of urgency, the school secretary, Miss Naomi Flinton, headed to grab Marion. Uh, sitting in the office as they watched them walk down the hallway, they heard Mr. Cooper say, Don't cry, little girl. I'll take you to your daddy. The two got in Mr. Cooper's dark-colored Chrysler coupe, and little did the staff know that this would be the last time that they would see Marion. So, Marion Parker and her twin sister, Marjorie, were born on October 11th, 1915. Um, at this time, her parents, Perry Parker and uh, Gerdeline, Geraldine. Geraldine. Oh my God. I was going to say, uh, pause, um, I was going to say, <laughs> it's so dumb. Well, there you go. We haven't Geraldine. had one of those in a while. Geraldine. No, but I do, I do think it's worth um, saying that it really stinks because every time I hear the word Marjorie, um, I think of Marty. I, get, I know. Oh, do you really? I, I think was, of Marty because we used to Marty? call, I, we used to, I used to call her Marjorie. We did. And, and when then, she was bad, I'd call her Marjorie Taylor Green. Well, like, I was going to say that every time I hear Marjorie now, I think of fucking Marjorie Taylor Green. So, pisses me off but um yeah but yeah we also yeah you i yep. think you called marty i called her marjorie, marjorie a lot more than i did i, I called her a lot. yeah but anyway um so that's a geraldine. weird geraldine. correlation yeah anyways geraldine <laughs> it's as i was reading i'm like i'm not saying this right <laughs> um and i was worried about saying marjorie because it's spelled in a way that does not feel like marjorie anyways yeah. Um, Perry Parker and Geraldine uh, lived in the Arlington Heights neighborhood of Los Angeles. Okay. Um, from what I read, they had a pretty normal um, middle-class life as Perry worked as the chief clerk at the First National Bank of Los Angeles and made a decent living. Hmm. So on December 15th of 1927, Geraldine was a bit surprised when uh, Marjorie came home for, uh, for dinner without her sister. It was not like them to not be together, being that they're twins. You know, they have that, like, connection. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... However, um, oh, so she started to call around uh, to countless friends and schoolmates of Marion. However, quickly into her questioning, they uh, received a telegram because uh, this was back in 1927. The telegrams, obviously, they telegrams were, were all the rage. They were all the yeah. rage. Um, so the telegram read, do positively nothing till you receive a special delivery letter. Um, Mar- uh, Marion Parker, and it was labeled her name. Hmm. So a short time later, they received a second one that read, um, Marion secure, use good judgment, interference, interference with my plans, dangerous, Marion Parker and signed George Fox with a thought of their child being adopted, abducted, uh, Perry and Geraldine quickly contacted the police and school officials, which is when they learn of the, they learned of the events prior. So abducted, not adopted. I said adopted. Yeah. Oh my Lord. You started to say adopted and then you were like adopted. <laughs> so. The next day, several more letters came, and the family started to understand that these were ransom notes uh, demanding $1,500, which is about $25,000 today, in $20 gold certificates in the exchange for Marion. Hmm. The full terms of the letters stated that uh, to one have $1,500, $7520 gold certificates in U.S. currency. Um, come alone and have no one, no other one following or knowing the place of the meeting. Bring no weapons of any kind, and come in the Exus Coach license number five nine four nine nine five. Stay in the car, uh, which was Perry's car, so they had some information about him. So 
Interesting. Right? So the letter also states that um, that once he hands over the money, they will get back in the car and move slowly away from him about a block. They will let Marion out of the car and give them a moment to get away. So give them a moment to get away. The additional letters would also read a range of different things. And I have some snippets of a few of these because they were very interesting. So one read, leave out the police and detectives. Naturally. Yeah. Make no public notice. Keep uh, this affair private. Make no search. Fulfilling these terms with the transfer of the currency will secure the return of the girl. Failure to comply with these requests means no one will ever see the girl again except for angels in heaven. The affair must end one way or the other within three days, 72 hours. You will receive further notice, but the terms remain the same. So that was one. Okay. The next one was, please recover your senses. I want your money rather than to kill your child. But so far, you give me no other alternatives. Of course, you want your child, but you'll never get her by notifying the police and causing this, um, causing all this publicity. I mean, to be fair... Um, they chose to steal a child for <laughs> yeah, ransom. Know, so know. the the weird the the thing that you give me no all other alternative. I mean, the alternative right. was to not steal somebody's child. Yeah, exactly. And hold them to ransom or not do that. You so. fucking fucker. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> we may have a little anger. We may in have this anger. <laughs> internalized anger. Right now. Yeah. So the the letter reads on to say, I feel, however, that you started the search before you received my warning. So I'm not blaming you for the bad beginning. Remember the three-day limit, and make up for this lost time. Dismiss all authorities before it's too late. I'll give you one more chain, uh, chance. Uh, get the money the way I told you and be ready to settle. I'll give you a chance to come across and you will or Marion dies. I mean, or you could like get a job yeah. and pay for your own shit. Right. Yeah. Okay. So we'll get into that. Oh, great. <laughs> so at, up until this point, they already had called the police and they were already in talks to the police. So it was interesting that he wrote that mm. because this letter came in a couple days, like a day later. Yeah, what uh, did he, what did he expect them to do? Yeah. Well, they expected them not to do anything, but I think like people should, you should probably call the police. So, I mean, if my child went, you know, was abducted, abducted, <laughs> abducted and went missing, I would absolutely be calling the police. Yeah. So, well, 100%. So, um, all of these letters were signed with the names like Fox, Fate, Death, um, they also had inscriptions from Marion herself with uh, pieces of it saying, and this is this is kind of rough, but it says, Daddy, please don't bring anyone with you today. If you don't meet us in the morning, you'll never see me again. Love to all, Marion Parker. P.S. Please, Daddy, I want you to I want to come home this morning. This is your last chance to be sure and come by yourself or you won't see me again. Then eventually Perry was told the location of the drop. Um, and he headed right to the corner of 10th Street and Gramercy Place as directed. Unfortunately, um, because they called the cops, he asked that the police didn't come with them, but the police who were watching the family did follow Perry without him knowing. Um, and when the abductor saw the police, they got scared and drove away. So they met at this at this corner of the street, and he just drove off. Uh, the driver, the abductor I drove probably up. would have been really mad at the police, but also like it makes sense that they would go. Oh, for sure. So the next day, the kidnapper continued to write letters where um, he said how Marion saw him and he won and wondered why her daddy didn't help her um, and that he would give them a second chance. Um, and that this time he was to wait for a phone call. So on December 17th at 735, the call came in and they instructed Perry to meet at the corner of Manhattan Place in Fifth Street. Uh, with cash in hand by 8 p.m. So Perry complied. So this was 
less than half an hour later. Mm-hmm. So when he gets there, he sees um, a Chrysler Coupe pull up right next to Perry's car. He sees a man with a, a white handkerchief around his face holding um, a sawed-off shotgun uh, that is demanding the money. Perry asks for his daughter, um, and the masked man moved aside to show Marion, bundled up to her neck but not visibly moving, which kidnapper uh, noted that she was sleeping. Mm-mm. Yeah. So Perry tried to call her, uh, but she didn't answer. He assumed that Marion was drugged, which is why she wasn't moving, which I could was understand. She, was it. she like standing next to him? She was sitting in the car in the passenger mm-hmm. side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Perry handed over the satchel of cash and followed orders as he watched the cars start to drive away. But just um, as noticed, the car pulled over and the door opened, and Marion was violently shoved out of the car. Within a moment, the car took off. Perry jumped out of the car so quickly that he forgot to put his car in park. He ran um, to her and grabbed her body. However, he was he quickly realized that something was wrong. Um, her face was pale. Um, and this part is going to get a little bit rough. Um, but her face was pale, and he was holding just a part of Marion's lifeless body. I'm so sorry, just a part? So I'll go on. And I actually, in my notes, I have, so I'll add a quick trigger warning here as the next bit gets a little bit rough, but I try to preemptively say that already. So great. Um, so Marion's body was quickly, quickly sent to the coroner's office for an autopsy that would be performed. When they unbound her body, um, they saw quite a few things. Um, so one, um, her arms were severed from the elbow and they were missing. Okay. Her body below her waist was missing. Um, her body was sliced in half and her lower abdomen was missing. Um, her organs in her, um, in her tor- torso were removed and replaced with towels and newspaper. Her eyelids were sewn uh, with, the, with black piano thread to make her look alive. Um, and she had wire. This one note I saw somewhere. I, I don't know how truthful this was, but it kind of goes along with the black piano thread is that she had wire wrapped around her neck that went up her head and wrapped around her neck uh, to make her look like her head was standing up in the car. So after their full autopsy, uh, they determined that she was quick killed just 12 hours earlier, meaning that she was still alive during the first meetup that didn't happen. Um, however, one of the biggest questions was, where was the rest of her body? Well, the next day on December 18th, uh, there were people walking around Elysian Park, which is just north of where the body was dropped off, um, and they stumbled on six separate bundles wrapped in towels and newspaper. These bundles contained uh, Marion's arms, her legs, her lower torso, and her internal organs. From here, the, uh, the news in public went crazy. Uh, there was a huge manhunt for the killer with over 20,000 police officers and volunteers searching. Now, the police acted pretty fast. They noticed um, a logo on the towels that were used um, that were branded with the name Bellevue arms apartments where they started to take um talk to some of the um tenants which i thought this was kind of interesting that it was an apartment building that had branded towels yeah that well it was also the 1920s it was were a little bit yeah so yeah. they i don't even know if they even had like maybe shared bathrooms or something, yeah, like, something that. like that um so at the time uh the chrysler um at the same time the chrysler coupe uh the killer was driving was found abandoned however the police were able to take fingerprints and they were able to match them to the letters that were sent okay uh, they also cross-checked their systems, and the fingerprints ended up matching a 19-year-old named William Edward Hickman, who also happens to live in the Bellevue um, apartments. Uh, but 
also just happens to be missing when they I, go to search for him. I really, I can't remember the name that you said at the beginning or if you said one, but if it, if it's this guy, I hope that he was that stupid. Well, we'll, we'll continue to be yeah, yeah. stupid. Okay. Um, so who is William Hickman? So, well, sometime in 1926, William and a friend, Webley Hunt, were hired as messengers at the First National Bank of Los Angeles, where they both worked with Perry. Mm-hmm. What Perry didn't know when they were hired was that uh, both William and Webley um, were no strangers to crime. Before the two met, it was known that uh, by many that William had a, a, a habit of torturing and killing stray dogs and cats. First red flag. Um, in, the, in one classmate uh, reported that William took delight in... Uh, wringing the necks of chickens. All right. I just, that's hard. So he's already a shitbag. So the two eventually met in Kansas City, where they both uh, were known to getting into trouble for stealing. By 1926, they decided to leave Kansas City and they headed uh, to Los Angeles, where they would move in with Webley's grandparents. Interesting. Yeah. So by Christmas Eve of 1926, the pair was still obviously involved in stealing. So they made their way to a local pharmacy to see what they could, what they could get. So this time things went a little bit south and they ended up in a shootout with a police officer who was there. Um, and that night they ended up shooting the police, uh, shooting the police officer in the stomach and killing the, uh, killing the pharmacist at the uh, pharmacy uh, who was named Clarence Ivy Toms. Um, however, the two were never caught. Uh, they were able to make it out and they lay, lay, laid low for quite some time. And this is also in the 1920s. It's harder to find people. It's easier to get away with some stuff. Yeah. Um, so they just laid low um, and they were never caught. So eventually they both ended up getting a job at the bank, which I have a note in here that says, which sounds like the best place for a thief. <laughs> uh, so things didn't stop and only got worse and more dangerous. On um, May 24th, 1927, Webley's grandfather's body was found beneath the Colorado Street Bridge in Pasadena. Uh, there were a lot of confusing things that happened here. Like the day before, there was a large withdrawal from his bank account. There were multiple suicide notes that were obviously written in, by two different people, um, and none of the cash was found. At the same time, William was forging checks at the bank, uh, eventually taking around $400, which is just over $6,000 today. Um, and this, however, did not go unnoticed by Perry, and William was fired and prosecuted for stealing. However, he was only sentenced to probation, which sent him back to Kansas City to live with his family. And they didn't connect the fact that Clarence's murder, right? To no, so at, yeah. up until this point, nobody knew who who they were, who they were, what and they what they'd done. Been. Yeah. Okay. So, um, from here, William uh, was out of work and often would be seen playing penny ante, which is apparently a type of poker that's played for small stakes. I, had, I hadn't heard of it, but it no. sounds very 1920s. Heard of it Let's play some penny ante. So with this time he had on his hands, he started to concoct a plan to make some money and to take on revenge. So William decided to kidnap and eventually murder Marion. Um, because so that, he Paul. got in trouble for stealing and he knew Perry and he knew his family, except he didn't remember that Marion had a twin, uh, which why he went to school that day. He got a little bit confused when she said, which one, um, that's, and that's why he know. said the youngest one or whatever, the younger one. Did you say that they were twins initially? I did. Oh did you God, not I totally missed that. So here for those who have the, um, attention, um, span attention span of, of Kevin, of me. Yeah. So I have. Um, that they said they responded to which one. And then later I said, so Marion Parker and her twin sister, Marjorie 
were born October 11th. I was focused on the Marjorie thing. You, you were. Yep. You were. Yep, 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 I mean, that makes sense. Any huevos. So um, William decided to kidnap and eventually torture or eventually murder Marion. Yeah. After the murder, the police went frantic trying to find him. However, they had no idea where he could be. They checked with his family in Kansas City and his extended family in other states, and uh, he was nowhere to be found. Hmm. Now, the story is pretty popular at the time, um, and the, re- re- the reward for finding him eventually raised from 50000 to 100000 um, this Back is then? yeah. So this obviously perked a lot of people's interest, and many had said they'd seen William everywhere. Uh, there is even a report that one man who looked like William was arrested seven times in one day, to the point where he asked to stay in jail until they found him. Wow. Yeah. There was also another report of another man who looked like William that was severely beaten, mm. um, and eventually the cops uh, figured out that William had stolen another car. Um, this time it was a green Hudson. Uh, this sparked the interest. Um, this sparked the interest of a gas station attendant in Albany, Oregon, uh, who stated that they saw a man dressed in a dark blue suit and Oxford shoes that matched William's description driving a green Hudson. Tracking where William would be going, they were able to trace his whereabouts to Seattle, Washington, where he used two of the $20 gold notes that were given to him from Perry uh, to purchase new, new clothes because uh, the cops told Perry to give him all marked bills so that they could trace him, mm. which he had done. So then on December 22nd, Williams was seen again at another gas station, um, this time in the Portland area. Uh, the gas station attendant called the police immediately. Good. Yeah. Eventually, the two off, two officers, Chief Gardine. 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 And I'm so glad that you're just looking at my notes as I read it for me. And Officer Lou Allen. Lou Allen of. Lou uh, Allen. Lou Allen. I said Lou Allen. Like, it's a, like an old woman. Like Lou a, Allen. Like, <laughs> I, I just imagine some like woman working in a counter <laughs> of a. Of a Soda factory. Miss Llewellyn. Yeah. So, um, of Echo, Oregon, uh, uh, we're having, um, they were having a smoke break and they saw a green Hudson drive past, uh, knowing about the story, they got in their car and chased Williams. Wow. Um, however, William decided to drive faster and for a bit, they were in a frantic car chase, uh, which William eventually lost. When the police expected, inspected William's car, they ended up, um, finding the sawed off shotgun a few handguns, and about 1400 of the ransom money. Mm. So from here, William uh, was taken in for the murder of Marion. At yeah. first, he tried to blame the killing on a set of brothers. Okay, I saw this in a couple different places. It was a couple or it was a set of brothers. I just picked the set of brothers yeah. um, because there was a couple that said both of them. So um, there was a set of brothers. I have Oliver and Frank Kramer. Um, he said that he took part in the kidnap in the ransom, but he did not kill Marion. However, little to his surprise, both were incarcerated for the last few months on other charges, making that impossible. Um, so eventually, William confessed um, to a few different things. He confessed uh, to several robberies and the murder of the pharmacist, Clarence Ivy Tom, mm-hmm. uh, which Webley eventually was arrested and charged for as well. Um, once William realized the police didn't believe the story of the Kramer brothers, um, he ended up telling the police what he did. And again, I have another trigger warning in here. Um, in a 19-page written confession, he told the police that he strangled Marion as she sat blindfolded and tied to a chair until she was unconscious. He then hung her upside down in his bathtub and sliced her throat at the jugular to drain her blood. Yeah, yeah. I know. Then, after severing her limbs, he disemboweled her and wrapped her limbs and torso and put them in a suitcase for temporary storage. Like, here's the thing. These people are sick as shit, yes. which is why we should not have like gotten rid of mental health facilities or um not mental health or, facilities, but like um 
uh, crazy houses. What is it? What's it called? I mean, mental. F- yeah, uh, like facilities. like. But yeah. they were. Um, you're thinking of a specific name, and I can't think of it either right now. Potentially, no. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ! What are they called? Uh, a psychic, a psychic uh, penitentiary, right? Yes, Psychi- psychiatric, psychiatric hospital. hospitals. Yeah. yeah. Which I, I do think that some still exist, but there was that whole thing. Which well, I, I mean, they were they were testing a lot. They were doing like lumbotomies. And well, that that's all fucked up. But like, <laughs> but like a, a, an actual place to be able to put people that are experiencing psychosis or like these things where yeah. they could actually get the help that they need. But instead, you know, they're all hanging bodies upside down and draining blood and all this fucking shit, which is, to, uh, it's awful. <sighs> yeah. Well, right. and this is why mental health is super super important. Which. Yeah, because that's not the government. Doesn't here's the thing: if you are slicing and dicing bodies and wanting to kill people, it's not normal. You say slicing and dicing. I did. It's like we're on the old infomercial for knives. Slicing and dicing. There was actually in Colorado. There was um, where I'm from. There, uh, somebody's calling me. Um, Oh, Carrie Gomez. Uh, You probably listened to this, Uh, but anyway, um, who I is my friend from Colorado. Speaking of which. But in Colorado, they have the Western Stock Show um, or the Stock Show in Colorado, which is super fun. But I remember going there um, with my adopted family and walking into like this big area of like booths where they would do, you know, where you could buy stuff. Yeah. Um, but they always had kitchen appliances or like or like <laughs> knickknacks in the kitchen. Yes. And one of them was like, you know, this display of somebody like up there um, doing that. But it like the slicing and dicing, like, look at this, what this can do. And like, <laughs> yes. like, oh my God, sliced peppers in five seconds. <laughs> like, and it was, and I always would be like, I want that. That's mm-hmm. so cool. Anyway, it reminded me of that. Great. Slicing and dicing bodies is not the same as slicing it is and dicing not the same. green peppers. Yeah. However, yeah. Um, yeah, if you're, here's the thing. All of that's fucked up. If you have those thoughts, you're fucked up. Yeah, thanks. Okay. Anyways, thank you for that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so once, uh, as Perry was um, um, butchering her body, um, he realized that Perry would probably want to see Marion before he gave him the money, which, <laughs> duh. Um, so he decided to reconstruct the remaining pieces of her body to make her look alive, which is like fucking awful to even just think about. Yeah, it really is. So on January 25th, 1988, the trial for Marion's murder started. The defense uh, went hard trying to fight that William uh, was not guilty by reason of insanity, which was a new concept for California at the time. However, this didn't sit well with district attorney Asia Keys. Um, he uh, brought on mental health professionals along with friends and family of Williams to prove him wrong. And to add to the idea that this was all fake, there was also a letter that was found where William had written a fellow prisoner asking for ideas on how to act crazy in court. So with all of the evidence of him not being insane, the theory was thrown out. Um, hundreds of people um, showed up at the court to see what was happening to William um, including like some big celebrities and authors and whatnot. They just and this wanted was in the to 1920s, know. right? Yep. See, people have been obsessed with true crime since before. Well, probably since the first crime was ever committed. <laughs> I mean, yes. Which apparently was Adam and Eve when one of those fools <laughs> ate an apple. So allegedly, allegedly, um, <laughs> allegedly to the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, after 13 days of testimony, the jurors only took 30 minute, 36 minutes to deliberate. Um, they came to the unanimous decision that William was guilty of all charges and was sentenced to death. Well, yeah. So on Valentine's Day of 1928, Williams was sentenced to death by hanging at the gallows of San Quentin, 
Wow. Um, wait, they killed. They, they wait. They hung they him on hung Valentine's Day. On Valentine's Day. <laughs> but to make this, I mean, probably better for people who hated him, but worse for him. On October nineteenth, uh, well, okay, he was sentenced on Valentine's Day. Oh, on October nineteenth, William walked up to the gallows. Um, and fainted as soon as the executor placed the black hood over his head. You little bitch. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> You're fine doing so, all that shit to two other people, but you get all scurred. But like okay. with some like karma justice in the moment, um, because he fainted, it caused the rope to be a little bit too loose on his neck so that when they released the trap door and his body fell, the loose line didn't give enough force to snap his neck because the purpose of a hanging is to snap the neck immediately. Um, so William hung there for 14 minutes before he were pronounced dead from strangulation. So yeah, good. Well, you know. <laughs> um, so for some interesting facts on here, I have on December 20th, uh, police went to the apartment complex to investigate and encountered a man who fit the description of Marion's abductor, but he identified himself as Donald Evans. Donald allowed the police to search his apartment number 315. Um, and the police found no evidence, but Donald Evans disappeared. Eventually, they found out that William lived in apartment 315. So he was there. The cops talked to him. The cops went into his apartment. At the time, they did not know who William was. Um, and so, yeah, he, yeah. So the next interesting fact is uh, Webley was quoted in saying that William had once told him, you know, it would be worse that, uh, you know, it would be worse that to kill someone and cut them into pieces, into very small pieces, and throw them alongside the road. Someday I'm going to pull a job like that. Ew. And William. Um, and then um, this last one is Perry. Um, her father never actually wanted the death, death penalty. He's quoted in saying, I feel a deep sense of thankfulness that this man has been captured. Um, and mothers no longer need to fear that he may carry off their children. Um, but I'm not wishing that he be put to death. Of course, he should be punished. Which... I'm sorry, I, yeah. put that motherfucker to death I know. if you're going to kill can, my child. I, mean, I know. I think that for people who are against the death penalty, I totally understand. Yeah. Like, I, I get I don't. it. I, I do, but I don't. No, yeah, I, I feel like, because isn't there like a, an eye for an eye or, yeah, you know, I it's, you know, God. Yeah. yeah. So that's the story of Marion Parker. Marion, love. Mm. I'm so sorry. I also, you know, here's what's interesting, too, because initially I was like, oh, fuck those cops. But his plan was to kill her from the get-go. Yeah. So if that was the case, then I... Yeah. I mean... The, I feel like maybe he would have just driven off with her then. He might have. And or, then, or he might not have. I mean, who knows? At this point, we don't know girl. what he would have done, but he yeah. wanted to do that, and yeah. he gave himself the opportunity because they didn't kill Totally. How horrible, though, for that dad to... To go running over to get his daughter. Just to grab her and it's not. Yeah. And I, it's all, you know, just fresh for me right now because even, you know, yesterday know. seeing Marty, um, our, our pup's life kind of go and, and, you know, her body, it was uh, a little too much for me to handle. Yeah. Same. Um, which is why I'm so thankful for you, Bub, for um, helping I mean, uh, them while I was losing my shit. So uh anyway yeah i just couldn't imagine i just feel so bad for him that that would be for perry yeah anyway well that that was good so you you i think you i feel like you probably started to remember it i did as i was going i was like i know where this is going (laughs) crazy now but i'm excited for yours because i 
only know yeah. a little bit about this story. Well, uh, this one's interesting too. Let me fix my mic real quick. I keep hitting my ear or my fucking I know headphones on my goddamn mic. We'll get Sorry, it together. The setup at some is point. a little bit different because, well, because we've never filmed right here. Um, <laughs> but at least you get to see some of our mural in the background. Um, really there's this amazing artist, Ashley Quintero. Uh, here in Tampa uh, Bay, who's from Tampa Bay, who is an incredible artist, and we commissioned her to uh, create a mural for us that really talked about our business as an agency. And and actually, little Martina, um, is Marty in is in it, um, which you can't really see, but we can share a picture of that too on our social media, so you can see how we incorporated Miss Marty uh, into our yeah into our mural. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, okay, my story. Yeah. Are we ready? You ready to dive in? Yes. So again, my title is Eadly Atherly. You're a straight up shitbag. So it's interesting about this and just kind of a, a no. I was talking to my my sister-in-law, Brandon's brother's wife, uh, one day. And she was like, oh my gosh, you should do an episode on um, one of my friends who um, was, uh, was murdered by her husband. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, sure. Um, absolutely. That's a, like, tell me all about it. And then she started telling me about it. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Um, and it was, uh, it kind of impacted, um, a community in Tampa and a community in, um, outside of LA. So, you know, um, your decisions when you're fucking with people's lives can impact several people in locations, but oh, for I'm sure. sure murderers don't really give a shit. Oh no, so, they don't care. You know, I don't think that is, uh, on their mind at all. Actually. No, <laughs> they just don't care. So, uh, okay. I'm going to dive into this. Um, it was December 1st, 2013, when 28-year-old Ashley Atherley was found stabbed to death in the bathroom of her husband's apartment in San Bernardino, California. So again, I was actually introduced to the story by my sister-in-law, Brittany, uh, who actually grew up with Ashley and told me that she was once, um, or she was one of the most kind and caring people, uh, the kind of person who would literally give you the shirt off of her back. And, and Brittany actually sent me a text with this. So she said um, she was the kind of friend that didn't that it didn't matter how long it had been uh, that she was going to take the time and sit and catch up with you all about your life. So she was just it sounded like just God the perfect the yeah. perfect friend. Yeah. Um. And uh. And it makes me a little bit emotional right now because you know we've had a lot of our our friends sending us flowers and messages and it you know friendships good friendships are are worth investing in. Yeah, so, but they're also really hard to find. So when you have are, them, it's got to hold on to them and, mm-hmm. and make the effort, make the full effort that your friends make too. And it sounds like Ashley was was one of those. So um, this is a story of Ashley Hall, Atherley, which was her married name, uh, who was a mother of two who spent almost seven years in a relationship where, we sh- where she was physically and mentally abused and ultimately she was murdered. So a couple of uh, sources that are worth... Um, uh, noting, I got uh, some stuff from CBS News, Tampa Bay, um, Casetext.com, and SBSun.com as well. Um, okay, so I want to dive into Ashley because Ashley was beautiful and just seemed like such an incredible human. Uh, so she was born on July 30th of 1985 to Lucia Robles and Scott Hall. Um, Ashley was... Um, Sorry. <laughs> <you don't mind>. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ashley was uh, a great beauty. Um, inside and out and was just an amazing human so lucia robles um is her mom she uh, is remarried to ashley's stepfather and uh, uh, something that um in the obituary was uh, he was labeled as her second daddy his name is rick robles um and then her dad scott hall who was also remarried to ashley's stepmom heather hall so 
actually grew up in Brandon, Valrico, Florida, which um, Brandon is actually kind of a cute uh, area outside of Tampa. I would not live there, but no. um, I know a lot of people who do. Valrico is not my favorite, but um, I would hate to. I think I would hate to live in a town that was the same name as me. <laughs> so I'd rather not. Brandon. I live in Brandon. Um, no, uh, Valrico is, it's like farm town. So it's actually, you know, um, just lots of farms. Uh, it is a very, I would say, red area of Tampa Bay. So it's not my favorite. Yeah. But uh, is anyway. it considered Tampa Bay? I don't know. I, no, I don't. I think Maybe it's not. Polk County. It's like on the other side of, yep. um, of uh, I-75. So anyway. Um, uh, Ashley grew up there. And so, uh, I said, which is just outside of Tampa, but she was actually, uh, a graduate. So she graduated from Bloomingdale high school in 2003. So, uh, she did eventually go to college and received her associate's degree from Hillsborough community college and was actually planning on attending USF and USF is a great college here. Uh, that is in Tampa. So her dream was to be a high school history teacher, which I love. Um, and actually there's this, um, this woman that I follow on, uh, I have to tell you her name. I follow her on Instagram. Um, she's a, uh, an instructor that's in, in New York. Uh, and I love her, but her name is sorry or Sari. Um, sorry, probably Beth Rosenberg. Um, so if you don't follow her on social media, please go follow her because she is incredible and I love her and I want to have her on the podcast one day. Um, in <laughs> well, hopefully general, she likes true crime. I know. Um, anyway, she is a history teacher and is like the like mm, i feel like the ashley would have been her too um she does she addresses everything and she really really truly focuses on like true history um so with all this kind of stuff happening in florida with like them taking out black yeah. history and all this shit yeah. she has been like really going in hard I love being, it. like excuse me uh love her so and love, love how she like reacts to her students in general well, and also too. all the respect to anybody who wants to be or yeah. is a teacher very difficult and very underpaid Oh, we should take care of our teachers more. Um, but Ashley, that was her dream job was to be a high school history teacher, which I think Love is it. incredible. So Ashley also loved dance uh, and was a dancer from the time she was a toddler, uh, which is, of course, how Brittany uh, knows her because our my sister-in-law, Brittany, um, was a dancer, but also her grandmother mm-hmm. ran a whole dance school, I believe. Yeah. Oh, she did. Um, and um, the, the Brittany's family is very, very much in, intertwined, and our niece is uh, is now a dancer. So. Anyway, um, she was born uh, a Bloomingdale, Crim- or no, not born. She was a Bloomingdale Crimson Doll, uh, a dance teacher and a dance coach at Riverview High School. Oh, um, she was also a teacher's aide at the local school for middle and high school students with learning disabilities, which the world needs, Ashley's. I know. Like, so anyway, um, she worked uh, for Bank of America. So this is an oh, interesting parallel. Right? Um, two banks. <laughs> two banks. So she worked in for Bank of America in both Tampa and in Los Angeles. And the cool thing about banking, because I did start in banking when I was younger, um, is that you can actually move jobs um, between branches. And when it's another state, you can actually move uh, that way, too. So it's pretty awesome that she was able to take her her role that she uh, was he- had here in Tampa and, and take it out to L.A. Yeah. But there's a reason she moved to L.A., which is actually not great. But I'll go over that in a second. Uh, Ashley also loved her children um, and had a soft heart for those that were less fortunate. Um, and Ashley was the the mother, like I said earlier, of two beautiful little girls. Um, she absolutely loved being a mom. And one of her biggest dreams in life outside of being a history teacher was that she just wanted to give her girls an incredible life. Um, and 
as a former, I'm way too emotional, but as a former <laughs> uh, foster child and, and, and um, kid of a failed adoption, I, that really resonates with me. Yeah. Like what an, what an incredible human. I mean, she sounds like she was. Yeah. I actually pulled this information from a post that Ashley's mom made um, in a support group that was created in Ashley's name. And I think that she created this when they were trying to search for um, the, you know, her murderer. Um, but it, I thought it was really poignant and I wanted to put it in here, but I did want to, to say that I did grab a lot of this from that. So anyway, um, in 2006, uh, Ashley met Edley, Edley, Atherley, um, and a year later they were married. Weird so I know I thought so too. Uh, from the beginning of the marriage, it was clear that there were signs of abuse and we've done, I think our last episode was about abuse it in was. general too, because it of, um, but it was people taking revenge on their abusers. It so was. this is a little bit different. Yeah. This, this is, is a little a, bit different. I wish, I wish we were, you know, I wish Ashley was able to, yeah, it's just horrible. So anyway, um, like I said, from the beginning of the marriage, it was clear that there were signs of abuse. So he didn't like her friends and ultimately convinced her to stop associating with them. So off the bat, that is a clear sign of control. Oh, 100%. 100% control. You can be in a relationship and not like someone's friends. Yeah. And don't you go don't, hang out with them. Yeah, just don't hang out with them. Done. Uh, but you do not stop somebody. No, no. From if seeing anybody, their friends. If anybody wants you to stop seeing people, unless there's like some kind of like bigger issue bigger bigger <laughs> any bigger issue um it doesn't really matter like, no it does like just no listen i mean me, you have some people just... in your life that i just don't like but oh. they're gone from your life so it, oh my and god it's not because of me clear sign of control no i'm just it was kidding. not because of me it was because of you and now i'm glad that you're they were actually they were horrible friends so i no, may was... have mentioned one on the last episode <laughs> yeah, his name is tommy um <laughs> awful but uh, I do, uh, here's the thing. This is a, a little a message for anyone that's like going through maybe some domestic whatever. That dick is not good enough to stick. Okay? <laughs> it's not. Find yourself another there's, delicious, gorgeous. There's plenty of penis. wieners in the sea. <laughs> some of them are not great, but uh, <laughs> no dick is great enough. No. Yeah. Get rid of that <laughs> dick. Get a new dick. You'll like it. Okay. <laughs> uh, additionally, so, in, in, you know, in addition to the friends. He did not want to participate in family functions and actually started making it difficult for her to attend her only fan, her own, not only fans. That was weird. <laughs> I was like, that just took a little yeah, bit of a, took a weird turn. Not only fans. Um, but anyway, he, he didn't participate in family functions and then he started making it difficult for her to attend her own family. Yeah. These are all just, it sucks because well. these are all red flags that you, I imagine being in that space, you don't even think it's yeah. anything wrong. Totally. And it's interesting too because he eventually um, started insisting that she choose him oh, okay. over her family members. Okay, and like n- no. Um, so anyway, the family actually began to see signs of domestic abuse as well. So it was clear that he was isolating her in general and uh, causing her severe mental abuse. But it was suspected that there was also physical abuse as well. So, like many victims of abuse, Ashley would continuously deny the abuse, even though police were called on several occasions. Um, so, uh, some other things that he would do, he would use the kids as leverage, of course, and he wouldn't allow Ashley to take the girls when she would leave. So family functions, he wouldn't let her take, um, the girls to it. Like just in general, he wouldn't let them. I don't know. Cause he's a horrible dude. So, um, as time went on, Ashley's family would eventually, um, say that, uh, Eadley was stripping her of everything that made her Ashley. And I think that that's, sounds, that's really sounds true. It. Yeah. And domestic violence um, cases is that 
or just in, in cases of control, like that the person who's controlling will strip the person mm-hmm. of, of their personality and their, their comfort and their love and their just everything. And, um, and he's because they want up. to be the ones that, that like, he doesn't want, he didn't want her to go to other people. He no. wanted her to go to him. And the only way to do that is to help remove those people, which yeah. it seems like he did even not allowing the children mm-hmm. to go along with her, to be around her family. Like yeah. that's yeah. No. Yeah. He was in a sense, grooming her away from everybody. hundred percent. Okay. So, uh, fast forward just a tiny bit to December, 2012. So, um, in December, 2012, Ashley reluctantly shared reluctantly. reluctantly <laughs> okay. Brandon. Jesus Christ. <laughs> we should not have done this today. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're good. Anyway, um, Ashley reluctantly shared with her family that her husband, um, what was his name? Eathley, Eathley, oh, word. Um, decided that they would be moving to California because he had an opportunity for a job transfer. Um, it was also where most of his family lived because he wanted to get away from all of anybody she knew. Oh, they were, uh, I'm 100%. sure he had a much bigger plan. So this was after, um, Eadley had stranded, stranded. That was weird. Um, hmm. again, we haven't looked at our notes. No, we <laughs> so anyway, this was actually, um, when he, uh, had taken, uh, both of their cars, sold them and, um, went to one vehicle. Uh, and then he also was giving everything they owned away. So at the same time, this was happening. So interesting. So as they left Florida, her family couldn't help, but be terrified that this was him isolating her even more from her family and her overall support system. Because remember she was from Tampa yeah, um, or the Tampa Bay area. So at this point, he had complete control. So taking her out of here and moving yeah. to um, right outside of LA, that was her that was her support system. So yeah. he at this point had complete control. So um, after here, they moved in with Eadley's mother in San Bernardino. So after their move, the family tried to talk to her as often as they could, but they felt that they could never have an actual private conversation with Ashley. Because I'm sure he was there listening. 100%. Which is, and it's so interesting too, because I think that there was an element of your family um, that when we were kind of dating and, and things were going a little bit weird, that they maybe felt that way. Um, uh, but we, we actually weren't no. <laughs> usually around each other uh, in general. But uh, I will tell you that you should be able to have a private conversation oh, 100%. with your loved one with your family. Well, friends. absolutely. Like, it's weird that, that like, this is... No, no. But and it's because he, he wanted he to was, control. He was exactly. He was trying to control her. Yeah, and everything it was a, a form of abuse. Is, well, is, he wanted to control the conversation. He uh-huh. wanted to just everything. He wanted to make sure that she wasn't saying anything that yeah. she shouldn't. All of that kind of stuff. Yeah, just awful. So, um, by February, um, of at this time it's now 2013, uh, which I love how I put 2023. Uh, <laughs> no, but by February of 2013, Ashley had actually sent her mom a picture of herself covered in blue liquid. She looked worn, scared, and sad. Blue liquid. Yeah, the blue liquid was laundry detergent that Eadley had poured over her head while she was holding both of her daughters. Apparently, she was having a FaceTime conversation with her, with her 10-year-old little brother, um, which apparently Eadley had not approved of. Um, Fuck and me. yeah, so he like poured this detergent. So apparently, 3,000-plus miles was not enough distance between her and her own family. Um, and so that was... Yeah. So after that, Ashley and her girls got plane tickets back to Florida. Um, but Eadley wouldn't allow Ashley to take the girls, so they ended up staying. So Ashley then ended up moving from San Bernardino to LA and moving in with Eadley's dad. 
So Ashley's mom started sending her info on abuse and local shelters in the area to contact. They also started talking about a safe pack so that uh, she would have all of her and all of her important documents together um, when she was ready to leave. So Ashley actually knew that she needed to leave, but she wouldn't go without her girls and Eadley knew that. So he continued to use the girls to keep her there. But I do want to note this idea of a safe pack um, because yep. there's some things that happen with that. But, but a safe pack is basically when you're trying to leave a domestic violence type of situation. Um, a lot of times the person who's the abuser or the one in control will keep your documents mm. um, uh, so that you're kind of stranded. So a safe pack is actually something that you have take out of the house that you can actually access, which birth certificates, so smart. credit cards and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So that's um, so smart. I'd never, I don't think I should, would have ever known no that. yeah well i mean obviously this leans more heavy onto onto women who are 100%. proportionately um uh higher risk of uh of getting abused and, yeah. and all this shit so i mean let's let's be honest it's usually straight men that are yep you know i mean it's typically always women. yeah so but obviously i'm sure that there's a full spectrum of you know gay relationships where that can oh, happen, oh for or, sure or women over short sure. men or you know absolutely but, but i think the overwhelming majority is men correct um but again it can happen to anybody so anybody who is in a situation where you are can relate to this whether you are uh, a woman a gay person a queer person a a, even a straight man feeling this from their their um their spouses Mm -hmm. like it could be anybody sure all right so fast forward to june of 2013 um, Eadley moves into his dad's home with Ashley. So in what I had said earlier where she had moved into LA with Eadley's dad, his yep. dad did not move in with her. So she was living there alone, I believe. Um, but, but he was still with June, his mother. I believe so. Okay. So by June, he actually moves into with his dad, um, with Ashley and eventually another, uh, physical altercation occurs. So after that physical altercation, Ashley returned to Florida with the girls, but she did not go for that long. So Eadley um, called and demanded that she return with the girls. So unfortunately, three days later, she did. So um, this was the last time her family would see her alive. So remember, that was June. Yeah. Um, So by October of 2013, Ashley finally got the courage to leave. Eadley um, had tried to strangle her. So she became terrified that he would kill her if she didn't get out. So Ashley moved out of the home without her girls, but visited them each week. Um, she didn't let Eadley know where she was living out of fear, which, yeah. yeah. Um, he was not allowed on her job's property. So Bank of America, no, she was not yeah. allowed. He was not allowed on that property. Um, and security even had his picture. Wow. So it was pretty severe. Yeah. So she started telling people about the abuse and finally started to sound like Ashley again, which is what her mom said. Um, she was strong and confident and like was finding her voice yeah. once again. So by November of 2013, um, Ashley convinces Eadley to file for divorce. So Ashley had already gotten an apartment, um, and her, uh, and the girls moved in to LA two hours away, but she was um, still willing to stay in that area to be closer to him. Yeah, I think she, I, I think so. I think she was afraid to take the girls. Well, I'm sure he would because probably try to do exactly. So she did her. stay in LA. I wish she would have came back here, but you know, her family does too. But anyway, she moved, um, with the girls and her into LA. Uh, which was two hours away, uh, which of course was much closer to her job. That was in LA too. Yeah. So um, she kept the location secret from Eadley um, and her mom um, insisted that she returned to Florida, but she was so afraid that she'd lose the girls if she left. So she yeah. stayed. So, all right, let's talk about the murder. So it was the Wednesday before Thanksgiving of November 27th. And this is really interesting. I actually went and pulled up 
the court documents mm. um, to kind of get some timelines here because it was yeah. pretty it was pretty intense. So um, again, Wednesday before Thanksgiving, November twenty seventh, on November twenty seventh, the day before, Ashley planned to travel with the children to San Bernardino to have Thanksgiving dinner with Atherley at a restaurant. She planned on returning to Los Angeles that same night because she had to work at the bank the next day. However, at the last minute, Atherley, which I'm going to refer to whatever her you know um, husband at the time. Um, who murdered her. Uh, I'm going to call him Atherley. So uh, at the last minute, Atherley changed the plans. He told Ashley that he had borrowed someone's vehicle so he would pick up Ashley and the children in Los Angeles and drive them to San Bernardino for Thanksgiving dinner in the apartment. Ashley was afraid. She didn't want to go. Uh, But Atherley picked up Ashley and the children and drove them to San Bernardino, to the San Bernardino apartment. He promised to drive Ashley back to Los Angeles early Friday morning so she could get ready for work. And then told the person he borrowed the vehicles from that he would return it later on Friday. So, Thanksgiving Day. Atherley's mother telephoned him um, and Ashley around 10 or 10.30 on Thanksgiving. Ashley invited her over for dinner, but she had other plans. So, on November 29th, Ashley arrived at the bank. So, she did Thanksgiving. Came back. Um, Ashley arrived at the bank for work wearing a man's shirt that was way too big for her. And no makeup, which was very unusual for her. Um, she was very tired and emotional. Ashley told a coworker that she argued with Atherley the night before. Um, she was worried, um, easily startled, did not make eye contact, and was very quiet. Ashley told a coworker the drive from San Bernardino was very awkward and uncomfortable. So around l- lunchtime, Ashley told a coworker that she was going home to change into her own clothes. At 12.28 p.m., Atherley sent a text to Ashley stating, Hey babe, can you call me real quick? Need your advice. Have a few options. So at 12.29 p.m., Ashley called Atherley. She left work around 12.30 p.m. At 12.49 p.m., Atherley texted Ashley, Here. She got into a green Honda parked in front of the bank, and it drove away. Ashley never returned to work. She did not contact anyone at the bank to say she would not be returning, which was very unusual. So Ashley was scheduled to work at her waitressing job that night, too, but she never showed up and never contacted anyone to say that she was not coming to work. This was also very unusual. So one of Ashley's coworkers, his name was Jonathan Kay, tried numerous times to text and call Ashley. At 7.40 p.m., a text was sent from Ashley's phone to him saying, Hey, Jay, um, uh, I, or just Hey, Jay. At 7.42 p.m., another text to Jonathan was sent from Ashley's phone stating, I am so sorry, I fell asleep. At 7.54 p.m., a text from Ashley's phone to Jonathan states, Hey, Jay, I have food poisoning. When texting Jonathan um, in the past, Ashley's Ashley always referred to him as JK or Jonathan, never mm-hmm. Jay. So that's interesting. He's trying to cover up. Stuff. Yeah. So on November 30th, um, uh, or on the morning of November 30th, the car still wasn't, the car that he had borrowed still was not returned to the owner. Um, and so they were concerned because the car was not there yeah. um, uh, on Friday as promised. So she called, uh, this person called him and they're related, um, but I kind of left it out. But, Atherley answered the phone, um, sounding hungover, and said that everything was okay, but that he was sorry he didn't return to return the car. Uh, he just kept apologizing, um, and then he said, I'll, I need to sleep a little bit longer. I'll return it after. So later that day, he was called again because the car was still not returned, uh, but he did not answer. Uh, calls were now going unanswered from both Ashley and Eatley because this person also was trying to call Ashley. Yeah. So at around 10 p.m. of November 30th, two of um, Atherley's neighbors in his San Bernardino apartment complex, George H. and Andrew T., 
testified that they were outside smoking. And although it was cold, E. Um, Atherley was barefoot outside the apartment complex. He was saturated in blood and also had blood on both of his arms um, and on his right hand. But um, he told them that he had cut his hand on his hand on a fence while looking for his mm-hmm. wallet. But there were no metal fences in sure. the area, only brick walls. So um, his hand was cut from top to bottom. Uh, Andrew testified, you could see the meat of his hand hanging. Uh, although it was a very deep cut, he uh, did not appear to be in any pain. Um, he had a scrape a few inches along his right forearm as well. So Sam C., who uh, was working as a security guard at the apartment complex, and at about 10.30 p.m., a woman reported someone was trying to enter the complex through a locked gate. Sam saw him outside, barefoot and wearing a bloodstained shirt and pajama bottoms. Um, he appeared to be nervous, uh, and his hand was bloody. But he told Sam that he cut his hand while trying to help a fence uh, to look for his wallet. But Sam ended up calling the police. Good. Later that evening, um, a... Uh, uh, I don't know who th- it says. I I wrote later that evening. Father <laughs> <laughs> is it okay? her father? Yeah, no, it's his father. His father, um, who was visiting family in Florida, uh, actually called Atherley several times, but there was no answer. When Atherley finally answered a call, he sounded pretty incoherent and said, "They're coming for me right now." I'm so concerned that the dad called the mom and asked her to check on him. So at eleven nineteen p.m. that night, San Bernardino uh, police officer Mira Donor or Donner arrived at the apartment complex in response to Sam's call. The officer contacted Atherley, who was inside the complex, but by now, Atherley had apparently changed clothes, had no blood on his clothes, his hand was not bleeding. So, um, Atherley identified himself to uh, that officer um, as Ed Lee. Atherley was not intoxicated or under the influence of any drugs. He refused medical treatment, denied he had been in any physical altercation, and said he had cut his hand while jumping over the metal gate. Uh, He told the officer he lived nearby, but did not provide an address. Believing that there was no evidence of a crime, the officer departed. Okay. So Mariella, who lived upstairs from Atherley's apartment, uh, at about midnight, um, she was outside walking her dogs, and one of them ran up to the doorway of his apartment. At the same time, he opened the front door. He seemed surprised to see her, went back inside and shut the door. So December 1st, 2013. It was a Sunday. Um, uh, and, um, so the woman was still, uh, who, uh, he borrowed the car from was still unable to contact him. Um, and people were starting to get concerned. So, um, anyway, they drove to his apartment on the way, um, they picked up his mom and, you know, all these family members were kind of like, what is happening? So they arrived at his apartment complex at 1130 and um, she saw her car in the parking lot and assumed that he was just in the apartment. Yeah. So they stopped at the the car first, opened and unlocked the car and saw blood inside. So um, the police determined, well, so eventually the police determined that Ashley's blood was in the interior passenger side door, middle console and exterior glove compartment. But um, the owner of the car also found two receipts inside the vehicle, both dated Friday, November 29th. One was for a telephone accessory purchase um, at about noon from a Los Angeles gas station near Ash's apartment. The other was from uh, 1 or 1 p.m. Uh, purchasing cigarettes and whiskey mm. from a San Bernardino drugstore. So after looking inside the GMC, um, the three women, so they, I think that they were cousins and his mom, went up to his apartment, but there was no answer um, at the front door, which was locked um, or on the balcony sliding glass door. Yeah. And they couldn't see through the windows. So they went to um, ask the manager if they would open the door. And so um, anyway, they uh, opened the door 
I don't know what this note says, but basically <laughs> I believe he was in the apartment and fled. Uh, so after the, oh, no, 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 no. They asked to get the apartment opened and uh, the manager refused to open the apartment. So they called the police. Um, the police arrived and after obtaining the key from the manager, they entered the apartment, which smelled like body de- decomposition. Mm. Um, Ashley was found dead on the bathroom floor. So um, apparently her pants had been removed from her left leg. There was blood on the bathroom floor and door. Um, bloody towels were next to her body. There was blood on an air mattress in the living room. Um, like and bloody sheets. Yeah. And blankets were next to the mattress. And there where are was, the kids at this point? I don't know yet. There was wet blood underneath the air mattress and blood drops on the living room. Um, on the vertical blinds, there was a blood trail that led from the living room to the bathroom. Oh my gosh. It was a mess. So inside the apartment, police also found a bloody pair of pajama pants and a bloody knife blade. Um, his fingerprints um, were in blood on the knife. Um, and a police criminalist found only a single source of blood on the knife, and it was Ashley's blood. So police found um, a knife handle in the corner of the living room with marks showing where the blade broke from the handle. Ashley's blood was also the single source of the blood on the handle. So later, uh, police searched his apartment uh, inside a kitchen drawer. They found a set of knives with blades and plastic handles similar to the bloody knife found in his apartment. Um, The knives were uniformly placed in the drawer longest to shortest. However, there was a big, there was a gap between two of the knives appearing that that this was the knife that was used. Um, And the gap was consistent with the size of the knife that they found. So, um, that weekend, Ashley was obviously reported missing. Police were called to check on her welfare um, after her family said they couldn't get in touch with her and said that Ashley and um, her uh, soon-to-be ex-husband were uh, estranged and had been for a few months. So, um, again, that's when they went to his apartment as well. Found her body and all that kind of stuff. Um, what's really sad is that she was brutally murdered. She had been beaten so badly that her mom um, had to identify her based on a tattoo on her back oh my gosh. and a fingerprint card that she had when she was eight years old. Um, and he hit her in the face, giving her two black eyes and a broken nose and then stabbed her in the neck with oh a butcher knife. So um, the Tuesday after Thanksgiving, um, and this is again, is from some of this stuff, but I'm going to go over the autopsy. Um, so this woman, uh, Jacqueline V works as a medical assistant, uh, at a clinic in San Bernardino on, on, a, on December 3rd at about five thirty PM. Um, uh, sorry, this is actually the day after Thanksgiving, jumping back a hot minute, not the autopsy quite yet, but, uh, the day after Thanksgiving, um, Atherley actually ran up to a clinic door, um, as she was closing and asked for peroxide for the cut on his hand which was bleeding, but she referred him to the hospital emergency room. Yeah. Like if you could see the flesh of your skin, I know right? inside of you, like he <laughs> was cut pretty deep and I'm assuming he probably slipped onto the knife or something. I don't know. Yeah. I hope she fucked him up too. But anyway, um, he, uh, he asked for help. She was like, go to the ER. He was upset and refused. And then he eventually left, I guess. So autopsy, <clears throat> um, then again, this is from the case details, yeah. which I, which was interesting. So this was from the people versus Atherley. Um, uh, court documents. So she sustained, Ashley sustained three sharp force injuries. The first was a superficial injury on the right thumb caused by a knife, a defensive wound likely occurring when Ashley put her hands up. Uh, the second was a large knife wound in the front of her neck. The knife penetrated at an angle, severing the major blood vessels on the left side, puncturing her chest cavity and cutting her trachea, her windpipe. Um, with her trachea severed, Ashley um, aspirated blood. Uh, you know, which is shooting yeah. out and she died within minutes. So she, you know, 
which is fucking awful. Um, But I'm sure, you know, he obviously beat her before. Oh, for sure. So the third um, knife wound was a very small puncture mark near her left shoulder blade. Uh, There was a corresponding hole in her shirt. So Ashley had blunt force injuries to her face from her just from four distinct blows, a bruise in the center of her forehead, hemorrhage in both eyelids, a broken nose and a contusion on her uh, upper, the inside of her upper lip. Uh, The lip contusion was consistent with pressure being applied by hand directly onto the mouth as she was struggling. She sustained these injuries um, either minutes um, up to or, or within the hour after she died, which is really interesting. So let's talk about the arrest and the trial. So perfect time um, for alarms to go off right now too. I know. Right. And we're not in New York city right now, (laughs) but um, anyway, uh, the car that he actually borrowed from the family member was parked nearby with what appeared to be blood inside, which I mentioned earlier. Um, He had also been seen outside of his apartment on November 30th with wounds to his right hand and arm, which I said earlier uh, that next Wednesday, he was seen at the San Bernardino Metro League station by a security Dindo. officer. Huh? Dindo? Is that what I said? He said San Bernardino. <laughs> oh, Sorry, I had to call it out. You call me. No, out yeah, I, I do. Yeah, I'm thankful <laughs> for you. I'm thankful for you. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. So, again, that next Wednesday after the murder, he was seen at a San Bernan, Bern, Bernardino. Thank you. San Metro Bernardino. League station uh, by a security officer who asked him if he needed assistance. When he asked him if he needed assistance, he ran. So, of course, that security officer called the police. Um, And so the manhunt to bring um, him in began basically kind of then, but also when they found all this shit. So on January 18th of 2014, so there was a, you know, a period of time that he was on the run that they were looking for him. um, But he was running to Florida, uh, which is interesting. So on January 18th of 2019, he actually surrendered to federal authorities here in Tampa um and so during the trial he uh it came out that he actually had a criminal history that included a november 20 2008 charge of domestic violence in hillsborough county and in 2000 and in 2005 he was arrested on a domestic battery charge in charlotte county so it was discovered that ashley uh, was murdered the same day she went missing on november 29th uh it was also discovered that uh his own father told ashley to go back to florida and that if she didn't he thinks his son would kill her how fucking crazy is that? So he ended up being extradited to California. Um, he was convicted of second degree murder uh, and is serving 16 years to life. Good. So what's interesting, and I think that this is, uh, I put it in here because I think it's really valuable, but after the trial, trial, her mom, who's known as Mimi, and her husband, Rick, who was known as Pop Pop, um, adopted both of her girls. And in 2015, um, to keep their daughters, um, or they adopted Sorry, in 2015, they adopted the girls to keep their their mother's memory alive um, in general. So Ashley's mother now knows that the information that she sent to her daughter, remember I said that she, they were kind of talking back and forth and giving her resources and this, this pack. Um, Ashley's mom now knows that her daughter actually listened and read everything um, because a backpack was found in her office, which contained all of her important documents birth certificate, social security cards, oh, so sad. school records, everything that she would need when she decided to leave. She was so she close to being out. The chance to. Yeah. So uh, what I found to be interesting, and I'm not sure that this is still around, but immediately after um, uh, they created something called Ashley's safe pack. Um, and it was, it was a, it was powered by doc safe. Um, but basically Ashley's safe pack is a virtual safe deposit box for domestic violence victims to safely upload and store their important documents. Oh, for I love charge. That. 
Um, I hope it's still around. I couldn't really find much information on it anymore other than like the initial press release of it. Um, so if you're out there and you know that this still exists, please, um, let us know. Yeah. We would love to share that yeah, information. But, um, again, Ashley's safe pack and, um, um, yeah, it's, it, it's supposed to make an exit both safer and easier. Yeah. So, um, so that was the story Man. of, of Ashley, um, which I focused a lot more heavier. No, I'm um, glad you obviously did. on Ashley because then him, because he's obviously a dirtbag. He's out. Yeah. He's a an abusive bag. Yeah. To, yeah no i'm glad that you did it was great to hear more about her than anything yeah and um ashley hall so i know that we have a lot of tampa bay listeners and if you you were um in her tribe and certainly her family our love goes out to you yeah. um and i'm so sorry that you experienced this and um you know uh, people feel so helpless when they can't help somebody that's going through that or or the person just isn't at a place where they can you know listen yeah um and God, her parents must be just devastated and, you know, it's still to this day, but it's amazing that they're raising her daughters. And mm-hmm. so the, the life that I'm sure Ashley really wanted to give they are able to I provide know her them. parents will do that, um, for her on her behalf. So anyway, uh, yeah, that was, that's the story of, of Ashley, who I'm going to call Ashley Nicole Hall. Mm. Cause fuck her, you know, her married name, married name. Um, but anyway, um, bless her heart. I wish I would have known her. Yeah. I love that. I, you know, we're second, third, God, more sirens. What's happening here? <laughs> um, but anyway, I, you know, at least we get, uh, our, my sister-in-law in our yeah. life who, who knew her, um, as well. So anyway, we did it. We did. Goodness. Again, sorry that took so long. Yeah. Sorry for <laughs> our little break. Uh, we won't have them now. Um, or shouldn't uh it was so interesting too because we we thought marty was going to pass away over the holidays which is why we actually took a break then (laughs) um and she man she just kind of pushed through and and seemed to be doing okay um and so again sorry for the recent lapse um in episodes but um we're back and um you know we'll we're taking the time to to grieve and heal and heal and just remember martina but you see Martina right here. So hello, Marty. Uh, and uh, I'm sure that we'll have her uh, joining us often. We will. And um, yeah, yeah, thanks for listening and thanks for reaching out. Yeah, for sure. Thanks. Any parting notes, Bren? I love you. Love you too. I love you too, Martina. Yeah, we love you, Marty. I love you, Bob. Love you too. And um, well, with that, I guess it's time to say don't forget to subscribe, follow, rate, review us <laughs> yes yes that's to all uh, of them and if you have any of your own hometown murders please send, send them, them our way because we'll jump back into that yeah now send them in to us at murder at homicide podcast.com yeah, and we'll have you we'll have you on with us but um until then yeah thanks for for supporting us and um take it easy i love you marty yeah talk to you soon bye bye